0: Alright, so take your Bibles. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew you can follow along today. We're going to be in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We've been on a year-long series, whether we realize it's been the same series or not. It kind of has, at least on my computer it's all the same series, uh, called Back to the Basics. And we've been looking at different basic things we believe. And uh each time I think I'm about finished with that, uh that series, I kind of come on to another thing Like, oh, that's pretty basic. We need to cover that. Um, and so today we're going to be covering the good news, the gospel. How many of you get tired of hearing good news? I mean, who's like, I've just about had all the good news I can handle. You know, I, I don't I'm just tired of it. Well, the truth is, I think, or the reality is, sometimes in the church, it's like we get tired of hearing the good news because oh, I heard that before. Yeah, you know, Jesus died, and I'm a sinner, and Jesus died, paid the debt of my sin, He resurrected, I can be forgiven. Yeah, I know that, and then let's move on to something else. And, and like we're tired of hearing that that good that old old story, you know, to hearing it over and over and over again. But but I think we should. Really keep the good news flowing. And we should hear it over and over and over again. And in fact, my plan as of today, you now sometimes that changes, but my plan of today is pretty much spend this entire month going over and over and over the good news. Because that starts today. That's one of the reasons we have the communion once a month. Because this is a chance for us to remember the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, each and every month. And we should take time to to do that very clearly. So one of the most clear and beloved expressions of the gospel. Now remember, everybody should know this by now, the word gospel means Good news. Right. So one of the one of the most beloved expressions of the gospel or the good news is found in John chapter three. So if you got the, if you're there, I'm going to have you go ahead and, and look down to verse 16. We're going to start reading there, but, but keep it there because we're going to come back to it throughout the day. So first, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, what I want to do today, as far as the gospel goes, is is uh, my, my sermon title was Jesus and Nick, which this is a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. So G, Jesus and Nicodemus have kind of a discussion about the gospel. And those are just some basic gospel facts, some just kind of statements about the gospel that I I want to make and for us to think about. And then see uh, one of the principles we try to live by is to interpret scripture with scripture and see how some of these statements are are confirmed or explained in other places of scripture. And so the, the first statement or first gospel fact or statement I want to make is this. The gospel is motivated by love. When we talk about the good news, really one of the, one of the greatest parts of the good news, one of the things that makes it so good is that the motivation of God is love. For God so loved the world. Romans 5, 6, and 8 says this, For while we were still sinners, uh, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died, For the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare die. But God shows His love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still alienated from God. While we were still in rebellion against God. While we were still separated from God. God sent Christ to die for us. So what he's saying, he's comparing. He said you might, there you might, could find somebody who who would die for a good person. That that somebody uh, might take a bullet for somebody else, you know that they really thought was important to society for a good person. But but who's going to die for a wretch? Who's going to die for a lawless, uh, rebellious, you know, murderer? Nobody's gonna, gonna say, hey, I'll take that punishment. You know, I know they've been given the death penalty, right? They're, they're supposed to go and and receive the death penalty. Tell you what, put me in their place. I, I know they're this bad person, but I want to die in their place. Nobody's gonna do that. But that's exactly what God did. See, we, we sometimes think of ourselves as, well, yeah, I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good guy, you know. I've I've worked hard, you know. I'm I'm I try to take care of my family. I do the best I can, you know. It kind of somewhat makes sense that God would die for me, right? You know, I'm not I'm not really that bad. I'm especially if you compare me to some really bad people. I do know one of our favorite people to compare us to is Hitler. You know, compared to Hitler, I'm all right. But the problem is. it's not the me now that Christ died for. It was the me that was in the same rebellious state against God as everybody else that Christ died for. When I was still a sinner. When I was still separated from God. When I was still hell bound. Christ died for me. John fifteen thirteen 13 says. Greater love has no one than this. That somebody lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love in all of creation than what God did for us. And one of the best parts of the gospel, one of the things that makes the good news so good is that you can tell people God loves you. You get tired of hearing that? Do you tell yourself this every morning? Do you wake up gospel minded every morning? God loves me he still loves me. This is good news. The gospel is motivated by love. Second, the gospel is open to everyone. Now let me say I'm aware that there is theologies out there that might take exception with this statement. I understand that. But there's two things I'm convinced of. One, I'm absolutely convinced I don't completely understand God and how he works and what he does and who he is. I've got more to learn about him. I'm also absolutely convinced nobody else knows him either completely. And so the best we can do is the best we can do. Now look at verses like 1 Timothy 2 where it says, First of all, then I urge you that supplication, prayers, intercessions, Thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that they will lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Second Peter 3, 9 says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should come, but all should reach repentance. We read John three sixteen for whosoever believes. Now, I don't understand all of God, but I do understand what God's telling me. And that for as far as you and I are concerned, we should look at every person on the planet as a candidate for the gospel. That's how we should see them. If you're leaving, if you're living and breathing and walking and you're a person, the gospel's for you. And and that's how we need to approach everyone. And in your life, you need to be sharing the gospel with everyone. You need to look at every person in your life as a candidate, as a recipient, as someone who Christ died for, as someone who loved. I promise you, you can go and tell every person you meet, God loves you. Every person you meet, you can say the gospel's for you. God so loved you that he sent his only son into the world. If you would believe, you will have everlasting life. And so the perspective for you and I is to see everyone as a possible candidate to accept and respond to the gospel. The gospel is all about salvation. This is the heart of the gospel is that the gospel wants us to be saved for God. So loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We call this salvation and it's really salvation from death. The promise of this salvation, the promise of the gospel is everlasting life. But I think we see this sometimes short-sightedly, that we tend to focus on physical death. You know, that one that we're all expecting at some point in our life? You are expecting that, right? I mean, everybody's dealing with that thought that, that you know, we sing that song, 10,000 reasons, and, and when that day comes and my strength is failing, y'all realize that's a reality. That the mortality rate of humanity is 100%. And the good news is hope in that situation. But it's more than that. The good news and the salvation isn't just physical death. It's talking about spiritual death also. The Bible refers to it as the second death. And this is the real salvation. This is the real heart of the gospel is, is salvation from what is known as the second death. Revelation chapter 21. The one who conquers will have his heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable, as for murderers, sexual sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so when the Bible talks to us about, about salvation, about overcoming death, about everlasting life, it is the first death, the physical one, but it's also that second death, that eternal separation from God, that, that we are saved from eternally being separated from God to eternally being with the life giver. That's everlasting life. The Bible even goes on to tell us in Luke chapter 12, it says, But I warn you whom to fear. It says, Don't fear man, who all they can do is destroy your body. That that first death is really not that big a deal. Don't, Don't be so worried about that. But I'll tell you what to be afraid of. Fear him who, after he's killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I told you, fear him. That, that our real concern, the real salvation that we're looking forward, the real promise we have is heaven, everlasting life. And that we don't have to fear this being cast out. That the first death is kind of a, is almost trivial compared to the second death, the eternal separation from God. And so the gospel is built on this bigger idea of salvation. Everlasting life and the release of fear from the second death, the gospel is based in faith. The gospel is a faith act, and we 're going to talk a little bit more about this. I just want to read from Ephesians chapter two for whosoever what believes it 's an act of faith that we respond to the gospel. It says this in ephesians two and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Fallen the course of this world, fallen the prince of the power bear, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's at that moment when we were that person Giving into our passions, being carried out by the desires of our body, following the, the prince of the power of air and disobedience. That's when Christ died for us, while we were yet sinners. But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, motivated by love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together to Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised up with him and seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that at the coming age we might show the immeasurable richness of his grace. And kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. But it is a gift from God. Not as a result of works. So that that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good which. Which God prepared for us that we should walk in them. This is the good news. This is a faith and grace act, an act of grace and a response of faith on our part. The gospel is an option. I'm not sure that this makes this particularly good news, but, but there is an option out there. In Luke's gospel, the 16th chapter, verses 19 through 31, it tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. I believe this is one of those clear pictures of what hell looks like. As you know, Lazarus goes into the bosom of Abraham, which is a picture of heaven. The rich man is cast into hell and suffering there. Later on at the end of that verse and as he speak as this rich man there in hell starts to talk with Abraham, he said and he said this, he said And he said, this is verse 27, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. One of the most interesting things I find about this picture of hell is that the man there, he wants people warned about it. He wants people to know there's an option there's some you do not have to come here. There are options for this in a sermon I preached about that. I talk about the reality of this option, that there's a there's a good place to go. And it's an everlasting place. And it's one that's filled with joy. And we don't have to accept our default, uh, our default destination. But there's options for people. And it depends on how people react uh, and how they respond to this story of the gospel. And so, think about this. We sit in a place where there are people suffering. If this story is true, that the Bible tells us, and this man wants people to be warned, he wants his loved ones to be warned so that they realize there's an option and they can have a different fate than he had. He's begging Abraham, send this guy to talk to my brothers. Well, that's our job right now. That's We're supposed to be the ones here Letting people know about the options. That there's a God who loves you. There's a God who's given you a chance, a way out. He's for you. If you can respond in faith to him, you can opt out of hell and opt into heaven. Romans chapter 10 points this idea out to us. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that's not me. That's all of us. Giving out the warning of a place that's just for those who will not believe. And how are they to preach unless they're sent and how is it written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But it says, but if they'd all obeyed the gospel for all say, it says, uh, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has heard from us, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The, uh, the truth of this statement, the gospel is an option, is that not everybody will respond appropriately. But we can't let the fact that people won't respond as we want them to. To keep us from telling them about the gospel. And it's our duty. We've been given that duty that that man asked for uh, Lazarus to do. We're the ones to go and warn the world. We're the ones that are supposed to tell the good news. Sometimes we might get tired of hearing the good news. We should never ever get tired of telling the good news. I mean... When you have real good news, we can't be quiet about it. But this is one that we seem to have it out. Well, back to, so there, there's kind of five basic thoughts or facts about the gospel for us to look at and repeat those. The gospel is motivated by love. The gospel is open to everyone. The gospel is about salvation. The gospel is based on faith. And the gospel is an option that we need to present to people. Well, go back to your John 3 and let's look at the, the part before that. I, I don't have this on the screen, so you're going to have to follow along. This is starting with John verse 1. This is back when uh, the conversation starts with Nicodemus. Now, the man, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness of what we've seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I told you of earthly things you would not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then we go into that part we know, for God so loved the world. There's there's three more statements I want to make that just kind of set the stage for the gospel that we need to grasp and understand. If we're going to bear this responsibility to, to go out and warn people, to share the option, to, to tell the good news, that we, we need to have some, some basic understanding uh, about the gospel that kind of underlies the foundation of us sharing it. The first one is this. Heaven is not people's default setting. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless... One is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is pointing out to Nicodemus that people aren't on their way to heaven. They're on their way to hell. There's been a lie that has been propagated and widely believed in our society. And this is and this is one of the fundamental truths that that, help, that, that keeps people from making sense of Of the world in which we live. The lie is that fundamentally at the base, people are generally good. That is not true. Fundamentally at their base, people are generally wicked. And they're bound to receive the reward for wickedness. Now, I know we don't like to think about that. I know we don't like to apply that to ourselves, but it's the truth. When we look at our world and we see abuse, greed, anger, stealing, killing, hatred, fighting, destruction. You know where that stuff comes from? It doesn't come from basically good people. It comes from people who are basically wicked. And all they're doing is showing the wickedness Of the human heart. On display. And that's the world in which we live. That people aren't basically good. Their default setting is not heaven. But left unchecked. Left unattended to. Left without hope. People will end up in hell. That is their default destination every time. Romans 3.23. For all. Have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What then? Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have all already charged that all, both Jews and Greek, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. If that is not a description of the people in this world, I don't know what is. And we have to start with the understanding that the good news is based in some bad news. And the bad news is left unattended, people will end up eternally separated from God. And the reason it's good news is because that doesn't have to happen. There are there is an option That people can opt out of their default setting. They can change where they're going. And that's good news. And that's what Nicodemus is being shared with. That Jesus says, unless you're born again, you're not going to see heaven. That's not where you're going. That's not where people are going. But there's that great little word in there. Unless. Unless is a conditional statement. There's something you can do about it. The second part is, what is it that we do about it? What's, what's, what have I got to do then? If I want to opt out of this default setting, well, where do I, what do I do? You got to first realize that spiritual rebirth is required. That unless is a tricky word. It opens the opportunity for an option, but it also puts A condition on that option. And that condition is spiritual birth. That we have to be reborn by the Spirit. All that study we've been talking about the spirit is, is what he does. He converts us. He changes us. He, he makes something happen in us at our moments of repentance. And, and, and one of the th- things we have to realize is that the, the gospel of Jesus is an exclusive gospel. There, there's something has to happen. And it has to be this rebirth by the spirit of God through faith in Christ. Jesus and John will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so when we present the gospel to people, we have to also be willing to say, this is the only good news there is. This good news, but this is the only one. You must believe in Jesus Christ and be born again in Him. This is the requirement to opt out of your default setting. That sounds harsh. That sounds judgmental. It makes us unpopular. But this is the truth that the Bible teaches. If we're going to hold to there is an opt out, then that option is found in Christ alone. In Christ alone, I make my stand. There is an exclusivity to the gospel. And the only good news there is, is the good news of Jesus. And the third Faith is an action step for whosoever would believe. I once heard a term, and I made the mistake of looking it up on Google this week, and like everything in the world, there's a debate (laughs) all over the Internet. But the term was easy believism. The idea that, well, all you got to do is say you believe. And say you believe it says, right, for whosoever believes. But we must realize that belief, that actual faith, this this faith that the gospel is relying upon is actually an action step. It's not just it's just not a belief, but it's a belief that's so core, so fundamental in your heart that it changes the way you live, that it affects how you believe. It's not just simply saying, I believe. But it's a belief that has an effect in your life. Even in that passage we read, it tells in Ephesians, it says, You're saved by grace through faith, not of works. So it's not the works that did it, but you were prepared for good works. That that this faith leads to a different kind of life. In James chapter 2, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says they have faith but does not have work? Can that faith save them if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food? And one says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them what they need for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And James is just pointing out this fact, I believe, that that you have to have such a faith that you do something about it. I'll tell you who the most faith-filled people I know are is electricians i had a little electrical problem dishwasher issue the other day and i had to unhook the the and i told y'all how i deal with electricity right whenever i do anything in my house that deals with electricity i don't just throw the breaker i throw the main i throw all the power because i don't trust breakers I don't trust anything when it comes to electricity because I hate getting shocked. More than about anything, I cannot stand to be shocked. So I just shut it all down. If they'd let me, I'd shut the street down. But they won't. So Matt came to help me. He's got this little pen. It's like this little yellow thing. And, and if you hold it up to a wire, it will tell you if there's electricity coming in that wire. And he holds it up and it don't come on. And I'm like, I'm going to watch this. Come over here. I want to see what happens when he sticks his finger on that wire. He believes in that little pin so much. He believes this thing will work. He just reaches up there and undoes it and starts putting it all back together. He trusts that thing. He has faith in it to the point that he's willing to touch wires. I wouldn't do that at all. But that's faith. That's the real faith that the the Bible's talking about. A, a faith that, that I believe in this thing so much that it affects how I live. It, 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 I operate believing in this thing. We have to operate in such a way that we believe who Jesus is. And not just say, oh yeah, I, I trust this thing. No, that, that I'm willing to walk out and put myself at risk. That I, that I obey, that I love, that I, I follow. Because I believe it. One of the basic obediences, one of the basic steps people have, one of the things that we believe is probably one of the premier or first basic steps to obedience, to to a living faith, is the act of baptism. That's why we call it believer's baptism. You believe, and it leads you to say, I want to be baptized. It's just kind of almost an elementary step in and in a lot of ways to say this is this faith that I now have is leading me to an action, a public action in the world. And I'm glad to announce that on October the 4th, one month from now, we will be having a baptism. We have people who want to take that step, who whose faith has led them to a place that, that they want to show the world. I'm a believer. I'm going to act on my belief. I've got right now three people lined up. And there's plenty of water for more. And so I want to invite you over the next month as we walk through the gospel, whether it's today or some other time. If you're just coming to realize that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, that that if you don't accept that, that your default destination is an eternal separation from God and you're like. That don't look so good. I want to I want to opt out of this default setting and change my destination. I want to change my eternal place that I believe that Jesus came to die for me so that I could have everlasting life. If if you feel that tug in your spirit, then I want you to know that there's coming an opportunity for you to take that faith and act upon it in the very first and simple way by following believers baptism. Those of you who have friends, those of you who are supposed to be sharing the gospel with others, you can share it and say, hey, guess what my church is doing. If you want to profess your faith, we got an opportunity for you. And that this is this is what our duty is. One of our number one duties is to tell the good news, never get tired of telling the good news and inviting people opt out of your default setting be born again, not just of the flesh, but also of the spirit. Invite him in and obey. Let the world know that you put your faith in Jesus. Because that's what Christ died for. And so I'm looking forward to one month from now, we get to celebrate the two things that we hold dear. Our two ordinances, the celebration of the communion, the representing the Lord's death Baptism, representing the Lord's and ours resurrection to eternal life. So today we must realize that the gospel in which we hope, in which all our hope is found, the gospel that brings us together is represented in our time of communion today. So I'm going to take a few minutes and we'll start getting ourselves adjusted as we remember this core of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die for you. So take a few minutes and get your elements ready and kind of peel back that first layer and, and uh, we'll move to having our time of communion.